How you doing today? How are the rest of you doing? <laughs> that your love may abound more and more. That's a profound statement. Because I already feel such great love in this church. I hope you do. You think about it. I read once that churches that really worship Jesus together, it's hard to... It's a, there's a grieving process if you ever move away or if for some reason you don't go to that church anymore because you've bonded with the people that you worship, people that you connect with, with God who loves us so much that overflows into our lives where we actually love each other. We saw in the message last week where Jesus Christ uh, in John 17 expressing his vision says, I manifested the Father's name to them. He's saying to his dad, in prayer. I manifested your name to them. I made known your name to them. Will you please yourself make known your name to them? I have declared your name to them. And after I die and rise from the dead, I'm going to continue to declare your name to them. Which means that right now, through the Holy Spirit, the Singular thing that God is doing in your life more than anything else is declaring the name of the Father, the bonding love of the Father. And he said, there's an amazing fringe benefit as a result. Not only will they know you personally, Dad, not only will they know you personally, Father, but your love, when I declare your name to them down through the ages, to each one, because every one of my kids matter to me, Teach one, I will put your, the same love that you love me with, I will put in them. And I will be in them myself to make sure that happens. So it's not just that the Father loves Jesus and he also loves us, kind of. He loves Jesus with an infinite affection. Would you agree with that? And Jesus says that the Father loves you with that same infinite affection that he loves Jesus with. Now, you've got to handle that. You've got to figure out what you're going to do with that because there's nothing you can do about it to change it. You can't, he doesn't, it doesn't change. He doesn't love you any more because you're good or any less because you're bad. You're born from above. He just loves you like he loves Jesus, and you're going to have to handle that. Because it's the, it's the most important reality in your entire existence and always will be. We're going to take a moment to pass out some socks. And I'll explain later, there's an activation at the end of this message. We're going to cut the message short a bit in order for us to happen. But we want everybody to have one sock. So, Kevin, will you pass out some socks there? There's some socks back on that table, Jack. Will you get, make sure everybody gets... There's some socks back there. We want everyone to have one sock. You don't have to have a pair of socks. And then, uh, AJ, would you pass out socks on this, from this table? Make sure everybody in that area gets some socks as I continue this talk this morning. So we're looking at the, the message title that your love may abound even more and more. And when I think about the Father's love for us, when I think about the love I feel in this fellowship... New Song Church, 
It's just absolutely stunning to me that it could possibly even increase. But the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in Philippi, chapter 1, verse 9. The whole chapter is about love. But he says this anchor verse that is the anchor verse for our talk this morning. And this I pray that your love may abound more and more. So if you can imagine the love you feel amongst your, your brothers and sisters in Christ increasing even more, that's what the Bible says can happen. And that's what the invitation is from this passage. It could even increase even more than you already sense, even more than you already feel. My sense of God's love here is that it's so very deep and that it can be more and more is absolutely thrilling to me beyond words. First John, in, uh, the Apostle John says, he echoes the, this whole concept when he says this, whoever, whoever knows God loves the children of God. There is a supernatural explosion in your heart when you come to Jesus Christ that overflows affection. And a lot of times preachers emphasize that the Greek word agape love, which is the word that the early Christians baptized and made a Christian word to express God's love, that it is a giving love. In fact, I've heard preachers say, the Bible doesn't say in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he felt good about them, but that he gave. And I want to emphasize that we're going to talk about the giving dimension of it. But I also want to mention that what we're talking about is the absolute affection of heaven as well. Affection of the Father. Affection of Jesus. Affection of the Holy Spirit. Rocks my world to the core and yours as well. First talking point after that lengthy introduction. Paul says some cool things about this abounding love more and more over the course of 10 verses. I'm hoping to cover all of them in the next 20 minutes. That your love may abound more and more includes deep feelings of affectionate family love. Paul's had a 10-year journey with these friends in Philippi already. He came to them by miracle on his second missionary journey. He had a plan in his first missionary journey, and the plan worked. So he made a plan for his second missionary journey, and it didn't work. He tried to go into Asia. Spirit of God wouldn't let him go. What? That's what I've been planning for. Well, heck with it. I'll go up to Bithynia. Went up to the state of Washington, province of Bithynia. Spirit of God wouldn't let him go there. Well, what the heck? Go west, young man. So they, he went west to the sea, ended up in Troas, had a God dream, had a vision. Man from Macedonia, come on over and help us. Saw it as a miraculous word from God. Went to Macedonia, ended up in Philippi. No synagogue, because it's a Jewish, it's a Roman colony. There were enough Jews even to have a, there even to have a synagogue. What are we going to do? Well, is there any religious people around here we can start with? Oh, yeah, there's some ladies that pray down by the river. Let's go down there. 
shared the gospel with Lydia and her friends at the ladies' prayer meeting. The Bible says God opened Lydia's heart. I like that, don't you? Are you glad that you don't have to open your own heart, but God opened your heart? Yeah, you opened your heart, but God's the one that inspired you to do it. God opened Lydia's heart, and she believed. And the church was born, the ladies' prayer meeting. They got in trouble, ended up in prison. Paul and Silas, remember what they did? They praised God and worshiped God with song when they were in chains. The earth shook. And the jailer ends up saying, what do I most I do to be saved? And that classic line, the Apostle Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your whole household will be saved. So he gets good saved and adds to the church as well. And they head on their way down the road to Thessalonica where a two-week revival breaks out that you read about in 1 Thessalonians later. But... Paul writes these words to them 10 years later from, pr- from prison, when he's in prison. And he's talking about how they've been partners with him over the last 10 years, financially to support the gospel work in other places, like we have, for over $45,000 to other ministries. How they prayed for him, how they've sent help to, to encourage him, and how his heart is theirs and his heart his heart, is, his heart is theirs and their heart is his. There's just ama- this amazing heaven bonding. In fact, it's the same bonding that some of you have thought about with reference to loved ones that are in heaven. Have you ever considered the reality that there will be a day in your resurrected body when you will be able to give a hug to your dad or your mom that's in heaven or a dear sister or dear brother, friend? You ever thought about that? If not, I hope you will. Because I thought about it. I thought about my mom and my dad both being in heaven and my grandpa, my grandpa Mickelson. I remember visiting my grandpa Mickelson when I was in college. I'd, uh, junior college, I'd stop by once a week and spend a half hour with him. And he'd almost, in typical Mickelson fashion, tears start running down his, his cheeks and say, oh, I do so appreciate my family. Now, I'm looking forward to giving Grandpa Mickelson a big hug and others as well, maybe Moses and Paul and Noah and different ones. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's going to be a group hug because every hug in heaven is a group hug because Jesus is right in the middle of it. I want to tell you, we live in the presence of, the, of our future, that there is, in fact, the reality that uh, we live from heaven to earth and our, great, our greatest Reality is the unseen world. And uh, we're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. So when we give a handshake or a hug, we don't have to get too uh, sappy about it. But I was in a friend and I were in a church in Bellingham and I was in seminary up there where they really emphasized the affection and love. And we were in a, I don't know if you remember this friend of it, we were in a in a home meeting where the leader actually had us sing a song to each other, where we had to look around this intimate living room. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I don't remember that. He probably blocked it out. (laughs) Where we had to sing, I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. I see in your eyes the glory of my King. I love you with the love of the Lord. And he made us actually look 
in each other's eyes <laughs> and sing this song. And it was so awkward. I did it because the leader of our group was the pastor. What can you do, you know? But I'm not saying we have to do that. We, we can keep it kind of comfortable. But I almost want to say, love in this church rocks my world continually. And I want to thank you for being the kind of people that do that. Anyway, Paul, I thank my God every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day, 10 years ago, until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of all of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. That's the That's the basis of this kind of love is his grace towards us. For God is my witness, and this is the the line I love from this passage, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ, with the same affection that Jesus has for for all of us. We have that same affection flourishing in an infinite, beautiful way for each other. Love is also a feeling, not just an action or a deed. When I was 16 and came to Christ, I'd been alienated from my mom and my dad for about three years. I rarely spoke to them, just when I had to. I shocked my mom. I shocked myself a few days after coming to Christ when I passed my mom in the hallway of our home And I spontaneously reached out and kissed her on the cheek and told her I loved her. She just about fainted. I just about fainted because it happened before I really really realized what was going on. It was just an outflow of something that was going on in my heart because of being touched by the love of God. I love your prophetic today, Brenda. That's kind of affection. That's true for all of us. Okay. Point two of three of four. That your love, it's a feeling. Okay, I got that. But that your love me abound more and more includes a personal life, personal life philosophy. It's something you live by. Can't have a lot of those, but we need to have at least one. And I hope this is it for you. That your love may abound more and more includes a personal life philosophy of serving people into their greatest potential. Paul desired to serve the Philippians into their greatest potential. It says so in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense all the way till the day of Christ, being filled 
with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, there's a declaration of potential. Would you agree? And Paul's absolute commitment to them is to pray for and as best he can serve them into that amazing potential. Every time the word agape love is used in the New Testament and there is an action related to it, it is always a serving action. In John Wesley's first great awakening, mid-1700s, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ in, in the UK and in the colonies. One of his great lines, John Wesley is, organized to beat the devil. So he organized all these small groups with 12 people in each group. And you know what? Even though they had all this amazing love and affection going on, they also had a commitment to each other. John Wesley taught them to ask each other the question, how does your soul prosper? So they were, they were, they embraced the responsibility that it's not just the pastor's job and the pastoral care team's, the pastoral staff's job. Although it is our job. And every time Brenda and I meet with anyone socially or in counsel or in teaching and preaching, every single time we have a singular goal, our whole team has a singular goal, and that is to move you into greater, your greater potential in the things of God. The abundant life that Jesus blood-bought you into, to see you fully flourish in it beyond what you ever dreamed was possible. This is our singular vision, our singular goal for you. And this is what we go after and are working towards. So it's your job to cooperate with that. Anyway, John's, John Wesley's, you know what they asked each other? They embraced the same thing amongst each other. They used to depend on just the leaders. This is, this is what their question was in all their groups. Thousands and thousands of groups. Look each other in the eye and ask the question, how does your soul prosper? How is your soul prospering? They would ask each other that and then give an account of how it's going. I just love that. I love it that ministry in that great revival wasn't centralized in the pastor's office. Totally dispersed amongst the people where it more fully can express revival. You know what else? The year they stopped, that the Methodist church stopped, have, the Methodist movement stopped having those small groups was the year the revival stopped. How does your soul prosper, we ask each other. Jerry Cook said, Loving, love is seeking another person's highest good. It's a grace-based relationship. It's a, it's a relationship that's amongst each other, amongst leadership and the team. Yes, there is tough love at times. But there's, you can only really have tough love with people that you have been, that 
a relationship with where they, they trust you and you trust them. There's a, there's, a sense of, there's a sense of commitment to them to help them to follow up. We just don't just blast people out of the water and treat people judgmentally. I heard a sermon years ago. I never forgot it. I forgot who gave it, but I never forgot the sermon. The call was to relate to people according to the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil is how are you matching up to where I think you ought to be in my own personal law imposition upon you? The tree of life is just Jesus' life. Now, again, tough love is possible if we've earned the right to, to express it. And, and when, it, when we have, it's the most, it is a singularly beautiful love. You know, the, what's called the AA prayer wasn't really started by the AA. They just picked it up and have utilized it very well. Richard, uh, Reinhold, Reinhard, Reinhold Niebuhr, the theologian in the early 1900s that, that uh, expressed it first. God, grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Relating to, the, relating to people according to the tree of life means doing our very, very best. And this can even be true in, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your sons and daughters-in-laws, your, your mother's-in-law, your father-in-law. This can be true in a marriage it is true in a marriage that the most singular gift that you can give someone to, to maximize their potential is to discern what their potential is in the, in the spirit. Ask God to be a student of your, of, of your loved one and see what, who they are in God and encourage that in them. But also, also to simply... Have the kind of relationship that you're not always in judgment against them. And that judgment can even be having a list that you read before God every day of what you're forgiving them for. It's a subtle thing because he calls us to forgiveness. But if we're always rehearsing what we're forgiving people for, what we're really doing is is expressing judgment against them. And God is calling us to to hold on to relationships a little more loosely, a little more flexibly. This one thing of of accepting each other has been the most profound blessing to Brenda and my marriage of any other concept. It It is when we both independently discovered the life-releasing power. Are you listening to me? When we both discovered, independently of each other, years apart, the life-releasing releasing power of accepting what we cannot change. It was just a huge blessing in Jesus. It put Jesus Christ right in the middle of our marriage. Thank you for being that way. You did it first. <laughs> Deal Moody wrote, 
Law says stone him. Grace says embrace him. Law says smite him. Grace says kiss him. Law says go after him and bind him. Grace says loose him and let him go. That your love may abound more and more includes a personal life philosophy of serving people into their greatest potential. That your love may abound more and more. Also now, point three, includes a lifestyle of continual praise and worship. Because we're called not just to abound in love for each other, but to abound in our love for Jesus. Not hard to do, is it? Notice in verse... 11b, as we continue through these verses in Philippians chapter 1, we're at 11b. I, I want to see your potential fully realized, says Paul. Why? To the glory and praise of God. So praise and worship is not just a thing of Sunday mornings or your devotions, but it is a lifestyle of abiding Living in Jesus, and the best way to live in Jesus in your personal walk is to continually praise him, continually thank him. I uh, had a first mentor, Orville and Leela, and Orville and I read Leela Shore. I lived with them when I was in junior college in a, in a streamlined, 1955 streamlined trailer in their front yard along with everything else, including the kitchen sink laying in their front yard. But uh, I'd go in every night before I went to bed after a busy day and have prayer with them. And Mrs. Leadershire was a second-generation Azusa Street revivalist. Her, her mom was a first-generation Azusa Street revivalist. And she had the same fire. She always had a chorus she burst into. I thought it was kind of weird. But I've since learned to appreciate, appreciate it more looking back. So much so that on my current walks for exercise, I ask God to bring to mind choruses. And some of them go back to the 70s when I was saved. Some of them from the 80s, some from the 90s. The more recent ones I would need headphones for and sing along that way. So some of you maybe would want to do that. But I want to suggest to you that a singular, most easy way to abide in Jesus, John 15, is to sing to him, to praise him with song. It's life-releasing. A great example of a lifestyle of praise is Lydia herself. As a kingdom businesswoman, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, Acts 16, verse 15 says, a certain woman named Olivia, uh, Lydia, talking about Philippi, the church plant there. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyat- Thyatira who worshiped God. Loved God in praise. Could she have been the one that influenced Paul and Silas? You know, it goes the other way. You think of pastors and apostles being the ones that inspire and encourage, but you know, it goes both ways. We know that from Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, 
I, I want to come and encourage you, and actually, I want to be encouraged by you. <laughs> I wonder if Lydia, in her lifestyle of praise and worship as a new believer and of her prayer group, if, they inspi- if, if she inspired Paul and Silas to be worshipers when they were thrown into jail that night. But I want to tell you what happens when you praise God, the earth shakes. The heavens shake. That's what happens. Here's a good line. When you turn your worries into worship, God turns your battles into blessings. Would you agree that happened for Paul and Silas in jail? You embrace that? I hope you do. Lastly, that your love may abound more and more includes abounding love towards pre-believers. I don't accept that there are unbelievers. That's a reality that I, will, I, I am utterly in denial exists. There's only pre-believers. If they're, not, if they're, if, if they're unbelievers, that's on them. I'm looking at them as pre-believers. We don't know who's going to come to Christ and who isn't, so why don't we look on everybody as sheep? We work with them long enough, they'll start to bleat. If they're sheep. Philippians 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for what? For the furtherance of the gospel. Paul's basic assumption is that they're on board with him as a team. He's the one that was doing the heralding along with some others. Some were even doing it for bad motives. But Paul is so confident in the inherent power of the gospel, he's even glad that the ones that are doing it for bad motives to try to get him in more trouble with the authorities, he's glad that he's preaching them because it is the content of the gospel expressed in any kind of weakness that all the authority of heaven gets behind and causes someone to be born from above in their deepest spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, born again. God has declared there's power in the simple gospel, just as he has declared there's power in the weakness of God, which is Christ dying on the cross. The weakness of God saves the universe. It is the declaration of the, of the, gospel, the simple gospel that all the authority of heaven gets behind and changes things. But it's a team effort. I was intrigued by the Medford basketball star, Bowden Howell. South Medford scored a school record, basketball record of 53 points to help guide the first place Panthers past Roseburg last week. But I want to tell you, he didn't do it without four other guys on the court. Loving pre-believers is not just a thing for evangelists to do. It is something we're all on board with together. And it's not necessarily everybody's job to be a five-fold ministry Ephesians 4 evangelist. See, Peter Wagner says that's about 10% of every church has a calling. It's our job to pray for the evangelists. If we are part of that 10%, to get out there and do the work. But it's all of our job to pray, to inspire, to encourage, to bless, to give a good press for, 
to push them out of the nest so they'll fly. It's all of our job to embrace the cause of Christ. Some of you are looking a little serious. And it, can also, it all starts with prayers, what we're going to do in just a moment. But I want Brenda to tell a story first. This is a story about the power of prayer, of the church praying. Because when the church prays, all heaven breaks loose for the 10% of New Song Church that is the evangelist. This is a story of your prayer, how it affected me one day a couple of years ago. So this is something I put on Facebook recently. Um, This is a sweet thing that happened today. Dan came home and told me this story. Dan went up to a guy in his car at the Thunderbird parking lot, you know, over Sherm's, over there, and said that he is from a church that sees a lot of miracles, and did he need any prayer for anything? As it turned out, it was a girl. And she had a stocking hat on and no makeup, and he didn't know that it was a girl because he doesn't go up to girls alone in cars because that's just wisdom. But it was a girl. And she said, yes, I want prayer for freedom. So then he told me this story. So he prayed prophetically over her, and she began to cry and receive from the Spirit. He said, lots of tears and snot. And praying prophetically, he started coming home several years ago from doing evangelism and saying, I'm having something really interesting happen. I pray for people. I'm praying for them and blessing them. And I get prophetic words for them, and they're accurate, and it's rocking their world that God knows them. And that was just started in his life, and he was so excited about it. And so over the years, he got really good at it because as you're praying blessings over them, You're hearing things about them. Why does she need prayer for freedom? What has happened in her life? So she hears these prophetic words of this, this, and this, and she knows God sees her and God knows her. So she's undone. Then he asked her if he could take less than two minutes and explain to her how to know God and his wonderful life and love for her. She said yes and was more than ready. He explained the four spiritual laws to her, and let her in the salvation prayer. The four spiritual laws are one, God loves you, holy God, he loves you. Two, we've messed up, we've all sinned. Three, he provided a way for us to make peace with him through Jesus Christ. And four, we receive Jesus as Savior. So he explained that to her, and she prayed. She prayed, I'm not used to this thing of, of yours in here, Dan. Ah, something else just happened. What is happening? Some other sentence just came on. I can't see the words. Anyway, I want to tell you also, we've had, this little sentence showed up there. Um, many, many teams come here. You know, you, you've been here. We've had teams from Bethel. Thank you. I don't have one of these, so I'm like touching it and making things happen. Um, and they go out and do evangelism, and this happened over and over and over again. I just want to tell you this. They would, we would come back, have pizza, and share what happened as we, as we gave, you know, went out and shared the gospel. And, you know, oh, we we prophesied and we had little blessings and we said this and that. And none of their teams would ever have any salvations because 
you give them a prophetic word, and the next thing is, would you like to know this God who just showed you that he knows you? And so Dan teaches us, and I just want to say, churches need to do this. He teaches our team, reel it in, reel them in, get them saved. And so we'd have all these salvations, and, and these other teams would be like, huh, <laughs> maybe we need to be doing that. So I'm almost done. So she got saved. She prayed the salvation prayer. She was so excited, she kept asking him, why did you come and talk to me? She had been crying in to God in the car, please help me, God. Please help me, God. She was undone, and she was crying that, and he came up to her that day. She never wanted to hear the gospel before that day, before today, but today she was ready. He just told her that a lot of people pray for him, so when he goes out, he trusts the Lord to guide them, to guide them, to guide him. Anyway, there's the story. Pretty cool. That, that was a cool day for that girl. <laughs> it's not because I'm a great shot. It's because I got a great team. Get it? All of our 20 or so evangelists, I'm thinking 20%, uh, 10% of the church. We have about 200 in the church. There's about 20 evangelists. See, Peter Wagner also says that there'd be revival in every city of America if the evangelists, the 10% of the evangelists would actually evangelize. They're so discouraged or they're so busy or they... For whatever reason, they haven't. They're not doing it, a lot of them. There'd be a revival in the USA. There'd be a revival in the world. And I did some figuring, and this is all, you know, ballpark. But if you look at these banners, there's about 20 people that are... Now, I'm not saying don't evangelize if... If you're, if you're not an evangelist, you, can still, you still have God's permission to evangelize. I just don't want to lay a heavy on you about it. I do think it's obligatory on our part to be able to give a 30-second exhortation to anybody anywhere. If I'm not going to be able to share the gospel with somebody, I often gas pump, check her at a store, passing someone on the street that looks really busy. I say this, and so can you. Sir, don't even have to know their name. Sir, I asked Jesus Christ into my heart over 40 years ago. And every day since, I've had supernatural joy, and supernatural peace and supernatural love resonating in my inner world and in my home. I just want to say, if you ever think about becoming a Christian, you've got my vote because it's awesome. Turn around and walk away. Everybody can do that. Memorize it. Say it in the mirror. Say it to your grandma. Maybe she'll get saved. I mean, you know... Everybody ought to have something like that that you've owned. Okay, so 
Our feet as a church are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The armor of God includes includes uh, our feet being shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. And how beautiful, the Bible says, are the feet of those that bring good news. We have 20 new song evangelists. In the Rogue Valley, there's about 2,000. Ephesians 4, five-fold ministry evangelists. See, Peter Wagner says 10% of every church. There's about 20,000 born-again people in the Rogue Valley. That means there's 2,000 evangelists are there out there. I don't know how many of them habitually share the gospel, but I want all of them to be doing it. In America, in the U.S., there's 3 million. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all 3 million every day shared the gospel with five, just five people? Can you imagine with the power of heaven surging through that simple message, what might happen? I submit to you that the singular issue of a lack of revival in churches and in, a, in, in the USA isn't this, 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 or this, but it's just this one singular issue that the church and the, the church is not stepping up and encouraging and praying for the evangelists, and the evangelists are, are sitting on their butts instead of out there doing their job. If you are an evangelist doing your job, I'm not talking about you and you know it. Globally, there's 66 million. There's certain things that the Holy Bible says we should be praying for evangelists. And we're going to do that today. And if you would like to do that every day, take a photo with your phone of what's on the screen or pick up the list I put on the welcome table. There's, I put about 30 out there. But here they are. The Apostle Paul, Jesus... And Luke, there's eight things. I'm just going to read through them, comment on a couple. Courage. Evangelists are, are cowards to the core. They need supernatural help or they won't do it. Clarity. The gospel is so muddy out there. You ask someone what the gospel is, they'll say, well, some people go to church. I'm just as good as them. It's all muddy. It's all unclear. We need to pray that the evangelists will make the gospel clear. We need to pray for open doors, like I had the open door with that gal. We need to pray that God will open doors. We need to pray for words. These are all, you can look these up, Google, the, Google it or something. And figure, and you can, I, I don't have the references here because I have it all memorized and I just, didn't want to cloud the issue just with some Bible references. But it's all, this is all in the Bible. Words. Paul says, pray that I'll have the words to say. I think that means prophetic words, words of knowledge, supernatural words. Souls. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Medford is that Medford be saved. Labors. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth labors into the harvest field. Why? To trick you into having to be a harvester if you start praying for him? No. He merely means it. There's a certain, there's 10% that are the laborers. That are the shooters. 
And they're good shots because God makes them hit, hit it every time. Well, not every time, but most of the time. They're good at it. But they're not shooting the ball. And so they're not scoring the four, 53 points. Pray the Lord will send forth the labors that he's called to be labor. Signs and wonders. No argument there. And Paul asked prayer for safety. Here's what we're going to do. I would like you to stand up if you have a calling to be an evangelist or you think you might have a calling to be an evangelist. If you're standing up, I want you to either go there, 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 or there and sit by the table. Let's put about five at each place. Just some of you go here. Go right now because you are going to represent... The ones here are going to represent the Rogue Valley, USA, the world. Paul's, uh, yeah, Pat's going to play the keyboard for us and new song. Can we have about five of you sit there? People will lay hands on you. And here's what I want you to do with your sock. By the way, we're going to give these socks and the representative shoes to the homeless this week. There's over $200 worth of socks we've got in our hands right now. It's going to be part of our evangelism efforts this week. But you know what? I like to touch. I like points of contact when I pray. We're going to put this up here. And this is what I want you to pray. I want you to, I want you to go. Go ahead. There's chairs right there, you guys. Pull, pull off a chair and sit. Pull off a chair and sit. We have every, here's what I want you to do. Yeah, I'm going to, we're going a little bit over this time, time-wise. Yeah, get over it. A little bit of discomfort for the sake of the harvest is worth it. Here's what I want you to do with your sock. I want you to hold it and grip it and say, God, give. I'm going to have you go. I'm going to have you go to the, to disperse to the stations. Lay hands on these people. Put us. Put the sock around their neck and ch- don't choke them. You know. Or lay the sock on the shoes. Because these people have beautiful feet. And our church is shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're about socks and shoes. And say, God, give them courage where they're, where they're not courageous. Give them a holy habit of humble courage. Make the gospel clear through their words. Give them divine appointments like you gave Dan that day with that guy in that car that turned out to be a girl. Give them prophetic words and words of knowledge. Give them souls, oh God. Cause people to be born again through their words. With all the authority of heaven heaven flooding through them. God, may they inspire others. Send forth those that are called but are not coming forth to have the joy of their of experiencing their calling to be who they are in God, shooting 53 points for Jesus as a soul winner every game. Give them signs and wonders and keep them safe and sound. Can we do that? Can some of you gather around New Song Evangelists and say, God bless New Song Evangelists? Can some of you gather around the... the uh, 
the world's evangelists, 66 million of them, and say, God, bless every single one of them, the ones that are being persecuted. Spring them from jail like you did Peter that day with that angel. Help them, God, to have courage. Just bless them with all these prayers. For the USA, we need our evangelists working in America today, in this hour. And for the Rogue Valley, the same thing. Would you get after that right now? Let's spend five minutes praying, laying hands on... Just get up, friends. This is not, you're not an audience now. You're part of the army. So get over there and get, your, get to work. Five minutes only, so let's get after this. If you want to sit in your chair and not go up, that's okay too. I'm not trying to be too bossy here, but I'm quite passionate about the effect, the effect of prayer. It's a big deal. Put that sock around their neck. Let it be a point of contact. Two more minutes, really go after it, friends. It's a very powerful, potent prayers happening right now. It's making a difference. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Your prayers are availing much right now. Your prayers are effectual right now. They're availing much right now for the sake of the harvest and for these evangelists. Okay, go ahead and conclude your prayer. Stay right where you're at and look at me. Everybody look at me. I want you to say this after me. The effectual, fervent prayer 
of a righteous person avails much. My prayers are working today. Amen. My friends, just in conclusion, as we've seen in Philippians, these realities, love includes, abounding love includes deep feelings of affection. Abounding love more and more includes a personal life philosophy of serving other people into their greatest potential. Abounding love includes a lifestyle of praise, which includes singing to Jesus. Abiding and living in Him through singing. And love that abounds more and more includes abounding love towards pre-believers. This is not a thing of a one service. This is a lifestyle issue for new songers. Okay? If you need prayer for healing or any other miracle, come forward today. We've got a team ready to minister to you. If you could put your socks just on the table, we'll sort them out and get them paired up again and give them away to people with cold feet this week. But one thing's for sure, our evangelists will never have cold feet again. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. We love you. God loves you. Have a super, super happy week.